What About Us, a podcast about how policies affect rural Tennesseans. This is our second season. All episodes of season one are available on iTunes and Google Play, and it's still a lot of good stuff. My name is Sandy Rice, and I live in rural Middle Tennessee. Today our topic is What About Our Farmers? My guest today is Jess Wilson, an actual farmer, but not the old McDonald had a farm farmer from your childhood. Jess is a new young farmer of the future. Welcome, Jess. Thank you, Sandy. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family and your farm. Sure. Um, I grew up on a dairy farm in upstate New York, and then um, went to college um, in northern Vermont at Sterling College. I studied sustainable agriculture. Um, I originally went in thinking I wanted to be a forester, but quickly got sucked back into um, agriculture. That's something that's always interested me. Um, And while I was there, I met a wonderful young man (laughs) from (laughs) Northwest Georgia. Um, He had grown up uh, outside of Somerville, Georgia, and he took me back down here to to Tennessee. Um, uh, We made some stops along the way, but ended up farming. Um, I had always wanted to have a farm, and and so did he. Um, And so we ended up buying land in Monteagle, and we have slowly been setting up our farm. Um, We were very conscious when we started out that though we wanted to farm, we didn't want to take on debt. Mm -hmm. And so we have kind of taken this incremental approach where we've made sure to fund each piece as we go. Um, And that means that I'm essentially 20 years in mm-hmm. to this project and I still am just beginning because okay. I am finally at a point where I have the land and the infrastructure and the capital to actually move forward. Um, and I think that's kind of typical. Either okay. you take on a big debt at the beginning or you We're <laughs> move talk slowly. About that is a big, big problem yeah. for, for young farmers today or people getting into to farming. So our, um, so our current farm, we have 30... All right, 40 total acres, um, and we do grass-fed lamb is our number one product. Um, we do wool and meat. Um, we do we have a little hobby dairy farm of dairy goats um, and organic vegetables and eggs. What am I forgetting? Um, and I have three children that help me sometimes when they're not <laughs> in school, um, and I'm the farmer primarily. Um, my husband helps on the weekends and we also have student interns oh, generally. Okay. So we will usually have, um, in an ideal situation, we'll have like one student intern um, helping us out and living. We do an exchange where they get room and board in exchange for kind of education mm-hmm. um, and experience. Oh, and good. we get a little labor okay. out of that situation. All right. Um, tell us some statistics about farming in the United States. Yeah. So um, the average age of a farmer in the United States is 59.4, according to the last census of agriculture. Um, two-thirds of the land that is currently operated as a farm in this country um, is owned, operated by someone who's over 60. Mm-hmm. So in the next 20 years, we're looking at that land changing hands. Um, and so without young farmers that are available to come in 
and take that land that you know people will be retiring um we're gonna lose a lot of small family farms Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and so we're really looking at a situation where you know we really need young farmers to fill that void and take over these farms because that's really the backbone of our rural communities Mm -hmm. um so that's that's what i'm here to talk about um of you know farmers in this country a lot of them are you know have a second job to make ends meet 66 percent um that that two-thirds of all land that amounts to 100 million acres um, that will change ownership so we're at a little bit of a farm crisis in my opinion mm-hmm. um and we hear a lot about families or farmers losing the family farm and being very uh depressed and in debt yeah overall um you know, we have a situation where for a very long time, we've not been paying the actual price of what food costs. Mm-hmm. And so my background, um, I studied sustainable agriculture. And in that education, we looked at agriculture um, and we looked at ecology kind of side by side. And in an ecological system, um, you know, everything is a part of that system and nothing ever leaves. Mm-hmm. There's kind of this rule that there's no such thing as a free lunch in a, in a system. You can't get anything for free. You're always paying for it. And so in this country, um, for many, many years, since the beginning of agriculture here, um, we, we've been trying and trying to decrease the price of food, basically. And in doing that, we've just offset the costs to somewhere else in the system. Um, So we have a situation where farmers cannot make money. They are constantly pinched, and it doesn't matter if you're talking about a very small farmer or a large farmer. If you're talking about the person actually doing the farming, those people are squeezed along the whole scale of large to small agriculture. Um, And so it's really hard for young people to go into farming. It's a huge risk. Um, and at the same time, we have a system where... Is this um, where the subsidy, subsidies well, come in or no? No. Okay. At the same time, we have a system where, you know, good, healthy, nutritious food is a privilege. Um, oh, okay. You know, mm-hmm. so <laughs> it's basically a system where we've been offsetting costs for so long. Um, and now we're, it's, it's definitely at a crisis. Um, so one of the things would be, you know, not paying farmers or help using so unskilled for in, so just going back to the beginning um for instance in you know our agricultural system in this country was built on first the removal of native americans where we europeans came in and took the land away um, and secondly the exploitation of african americans into slavery um, those were both ways that we could decrease, you know, through labor, we could decrease what we were paying for food. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's where that cost went on the labor side. Um, That exploitation of labor still happens to this day. um, But there are other places where that cost has been offset. Um, You know, in since, um, well, in the mechanization of agriculture, um, we have made food cheaper 
by increasing the size of farms and making them more reliant on fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a way we've cut costs, but that cost has built up in our climate crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, So it kind of comes down to this fact that... it would be like maybe, uh, yeah, fertilizer and and practices like the farms where the, the cows... The animals are treated so cruelly. Mm-hmm. You know they're packed in. Yeah. The chickens are packed in, and the and the beef and mm-hmm. that type of thing too. So, so just to kind of highlight this one point is that if the the family farms were gone from a rural area mm-hmm. or diminished over the years, and the big corporations came, it would affect rural life because nobody would leave. There would be nobody needed on the economy of a huge farm that's mechanized by robots. Well, and, I mean, there might be yeah. some because they would hire, you know, mm-hmm. the people yeah, it, in a rural town, maybe, mm-hmm. but but not a living wage yeah, or, or it, a quality of life. It very much depends on what you want. I mean, as a rural citizen and um, community member, um, you know, thinking about what you want your rural community to be like. We're in a time when people are increasingly leaving rural communities, moving to the cities. Um, I saw a report the other day that there's just not a whole lot of interest from young people in the cities to even moving out to rural places. Mm -hmm. So what is it we want? Do we want a, um, a rural landscape that simply feeds our urban centers? Mm-hmm. Um, right, you know, right. and where, <laughs> yeah, or do we want rural communities that, yes, help to feed our urban centers, but also have um, their own community? Yeah, um, they, they, yeah. good schools. Exactly. Um, certainly this podcast has covered health, a doctor, mm-hmm. yep. a nearby hospital. Yeah, and so um, that's kind of what... A shop or two yeah. here and there, a place to go out and eat when you're tired of right. doing dishes and you want to celebrate something. Right. You don't want to drive 90 miles or 45 miles every time you need yeah. and so box of Band-Aids. The, um, I'm losing my train of thought here. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> We're completely <laughs> off the outline. I know, I know. The, um, so... I mean, that's just kind of the basic question. If we continue to not have young farmers, you know, those family farms have really been the backbones of rural communities. Mm-hmm. Um, if we lose those farms and instead they're replaced by um, other corporations, and I'm not, it's not that industrial or large-scale agriculture is necessarily the problem. It's that there are, um, I mean, we're looking at like multinational corporations that are moving in um, that aren't owned even by people in this country. <laughs> um, okay. They're moving into these rural landscapes. And so that affects the community. And they don't um, grow food. And, well, sometimes they do. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, if you're looking at agriculture, like where is the money? Where's the money in agriculture? It's not going to those farmers who operate farms. And so the place where the money is going um, okay. are... There are five of them. <laughs> there are privately owned um, companies, Coke Industries, Cargill, um, and there are a couple others. But these are, um, you know, these are large corporations that are able to own entire systems. Mm-hmm. So they don't just, um, you know, have a small farm. They have the, they have gas wells. They have 
um, okay. trucking, you know, they have processing. They are vertically integrated and own can own the whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, that's that's where the money okay. so <laughs> in agriculture goes. They don't need the community other than as a workforce. Yeah. That's something to think about. Mm-hmm. I think and it, that's why there's podcasts. Yes. <laughs> exists. We like to start with uh, policies that govern the things that we're talking about. And of course, the biggest one is the U.S. Farm Bill. It allows for $867 billion to be sent, spent over the next five years. So that'll take us to 2023. Um, a lot of this goes to subsidies. Um, I just want to give a definition of subsidy um, because it, we talked about that with, um, when we talk about the ACA. But it's typically given, a subsidy is typically given, um, is a benefit given to an individual business or institution, usually by the government. It's typically given to remove some type of burden and is often considered to be in the overall interest of the public, given to promote a social good or an economic policy. Um, It's very very controversial, uh, at least in agricultural subsidies. Uh, certainly beyond the scope of this podcast, but certainly worthy of a podcast all its own, if I can find an economist to talk about that. <laughs> Just, do you have any, any comments uh, about that? I know that usually doesn't pertain so much to you, and we can move on to other things that are more germane to your sure. experience. Um, yeah, I mean, it does pertain in that there are young farmers that um, enter into commodity farming and deal with subsidies. So that's corn and soybeans used for other things. Yeah, when you look at the food food. on your plate, um, and I think this is something people often assume that, you know, farmers all get subsidies. Um, The majority of that food on your plate, the vegetables at least, um, probably some of the grains, um, are not receiving subsidies. Um, And this is not, because I'm not, a commodity farmer it's not something that I deal with and know a lot about but um, for the most part um, subsidies are going to commodity farmers and so those are people that grow grains their commodities are things that can be stored um, and they're exported generally okay. and they're used um, in economics they're like hedged against they're okay. um, traded they're used as leverage Um, And there have been a number of policies over the years that have controlled prices of of those grains and then have um, decided there at one point those prices were fixed and then it was decided that that, yeah, this this is beyond the scope of it. Well, no, no, I know. But basically, um, like that is, that is a part of farming, but it really just applies to commodities for the most okay. part. Okay. And when you look at your plate, the price, I mean, commodities oftentimes affects the meat that you're eating. Oh, okay. um, the majority, well, and I don't know if it's majority, I probably shouldn't say that, but the a lot of what's grown in this country, I don't know if it's the majority, um, it does not go to, it's not food, it's not directly mm-hmm. eaten okay. by humans. Yeah. Um, it's agriculture. Um, but a lot of that goes to feed animals, which are then eaten by humans. Um, some of it goes into ethanol. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that's grown that's not food, and that's kind of 
this subsidy side that, of the farm bill. Um, it is, it's definitely worth looking at. There are a lot of questions um, about how that works. And it has gone from um, what people at one time thought was a very kind of socialist system to a more deregulated system, but it's continued to have subsidies and price support. So um, it's commodities. I mean, it's something that's in the benefit of our government to continue, but there are a lot of questions. Yeah. And certainly in the, there's environmental impact that should be considered as well. Certainly, so. certainly. It's important. Let's talk about some um, aspects of the Farm Bill that um, are, are more pertinent to what yep. you're involved in. Um, I, know, I don't think you're growing hemp, but that is in the Farm Bill. Yeah, uh, and that's a, a great opportunity for farmers because of the CBD products that, it is. that, they're, mm-hmm. that they're finding. Yeah, um, there's. I'm gonna s- skip the that's fine stamps just okay. right now, but because uh, that's another um, mm-hmm. we want to. Uh, that's another complicated issue. That's boots. That's the SNAP program. Um, s- special programs are like permanent funding for farmers market and lo- farmers markets and local food uh, programs. Um, Promotional funding for farmers markets, research funds for organic farming, uh, funds for the organizations training the next generation of farmers, funds for veterans and minority farmers, and preserving the conservation program. Yeah, these Go are for s- it, Jess. These are some <laughs> of the highlights of the last farm bill. So, so yeah, the farm bill has it's giant. And so it has the subsidy side, it has the SNAP food stamp, food stamp side, um, it has a number of other things, um, but it does have these special programs which do help local farmers. So when people think about the Farm Bill, um, often when they think about ag policy, they say, oh, the Farm Bill, that's, what, that's the thing that affects farmers. Yes, it does, but it is not the main thing <laughs> that affects okay. farmers, and I just want to say that. However... These special programs do help um, young farmers, and they do help small farmers. Um, and so for sure, you know, our organization um, helps to try to promote those, these programs. Um, and we've been the recipient of some of these programs locally. Um, we have a local food hub, which is a distribution system. Organization. Mm-hmm. Your yeah. organization is the National Young Farmers Coalition. Yes, my okay. organization is the Southeast okay. and Tennessee and, National okay. Young Farmers, or Southeast Tennessee Young Farmers Coalition, which is a chapter of the National Young Farmers Coalition. Mm-hmm. And, and when you say that the Farm Bill probably doesn't affect a lot of farmers as much, you had said that the Farm Bureau is a big... Well, hold on a minute. <laughs> okay, never mind. So I the Farm Bill, it does, yeah, the Farm Bill does affect, um, it does affect farmers. But when you get down to the main questions of, um, like, well, and a lot of times what I'm talking about is that the, when people say ag policy, they think, oh, the farm bill, right, that's, right. that's ag policy, period. Um, it's not. There's a lot that affects agriculture that is outside the farm bill. Okay, all right. Um, however, inside the farm bill, um, certainly these things affect, the things inside the farm bill do affect farmers. Okay. Um, but a lot of the times the effects are smaller than some okay. of the things that are outside, especially okay. for young farmers. Okay. Um, however, um, the, the special programs in the, fun bill, in the farm bill, <laughs> fun bill um, you know, conservation programs, funding for local markets, um, these are all great. There's, um, the, there are programs that help 
new veterans to get into farming. There are a lot of special programs that are very helpful. Also, there's an amount of money from the Farm Bill that goes to fund our local extension mm-hmm. services, um, which are a fantastic resource for, for young farmers um, as far as education. And I just wanted to highlight a couple programs. Okay, sure. The um, aside, well, in our local community, we have a food hub which distributes um, food from local farms to institutions, and so to universities, to restaurants. Um, and that food hub and um, associated retail market last year did <laughs> no almost a quarter million dollars in sales. Um, so that's been a huge boost to our local economy and to our local farms. And that um, was started through a USDA value-added producer grant, um, which is something that is specifically, um, comes the funding comes specifically through the uh, Farm Bill and these special programs. Um, additionally, many of our growers um, are benefiting from a USDA block grant, which funded an elderberry research project um, that we're taking on. And that is looking at cultivating different varieties of elderberry here on the plateau and figuring out um, if we have a market for that and how we can kind of collaborate and, and market that medicinal? product yeah, okay. as a medicinal plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, uh, so there are really good programs in the Farm Bill and in these that provide um, benefits to young farmers for sure. Um, but those, those programs are a very small part of this giant Right. Farm Bill. Mm-hmm. At and least they're in there. They are. <laughs> and one of the other big pieces of the Farm Bill is that SNAP piece, okay. um, which is food stamps. It used to be mm-hmm. called food stamps. Um, now it's a Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program. Yes. And that um, is interesting that it's in the Farm Bill. There's some, sometimes people say, oh, why is it in there? Why can't we just take it out and put it somewhere else? Um, and I don't know the answer to that. It's kind of, a, it seems like it's always been a, a bit of a leverage thing within that bill um and one um so one thing that snap does that i want to just point out is it puts especially in rural communities that are food insecure or where there are people that need that snap money um that snap assistance goes to buy food locally for the most part Um, it can be used at farmers markets if they have the ability to do that um and so any like a lot of the farms I work with, you know, we're selling locally. Um, we're not shipping to the big city. Um, we're certainly not exporting our products. Um, and so we're depending on our neighbors. Like we want our neighbors to buy our products. We want our neighbors to be able to afford our products. Um, and so the more money we have in our local economy, the better. Um, SNAP money tends to flow into local economies and stay there and, and be sent, spent locally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that is a benefit, any money that we have going into those local communities. So, mm-hmm. okay. Um, that's, it's, that money has been threatened, and we've talked about on the podcast before, um, you know, um, a lot of support given, given to rural families, uh, uh, people that don't have a very good income and there's some um, you know I have some concern about I'll be giving away but it comes back to uh, minimum wage you know which hasn't been uh, changed in I, I don't remember right now but yes. many 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 years and it's that's federally and 
Um, we talk about this a lot with, with healthcare uh, as well, and um, our Grundy County, where a lot of unskilled people that can't get to better jobs. Mm -hmm. If you raise the minimum wage, <laughs> people would need SNAP money and Medicaid yeah. and, and all these other things. So well, it just is a continual continuing yeah. theme mm -hmm. you know in the podcast by looking at you know rural areas yeah and I I go to a lot of kind of visioning meetings where we talk about our food system and how do we make it just and one of the questions that comes up a lot um, that I think is part of this question is you know how do we get how do we improve the health of people in our rural communities and how do we teach people to eat nutritious food mm -hmm. and and then this is not to downplay the work that people do in education um, at all but there a lot of times these conversations end up where we're saying oh well we need we need school gardens which are great <laughs> um, mm -hmm. you know if only we could teach people how to plant something and see it grow then they would certainly go home and say we need to plant this and we need to eat these things and they would tell their family um, but that's just not a choice for people um, you know, being able to grow your own food is expensive because you're actually, your labor is part of that price that we haven't been paying for a long time for mm -hmm. food. And so um, that is, you know, many people don't have that choice. They don't have the choice to buy more expensive, nutritious products at the farmer's market. It's mm -hmm. just not something they can do. It's not within their income. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I feel like I go to these meetings and we talk about all these ideas, but the very root of the issue is income inequality. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I don't, as a farmer, I don't want to have to sell to rich people. I want to sell to my neighbors, but mm -hmm. my neighbors can't afford to pay me for my labor, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that's because for so long, we've had this system where we're not paying for what we actually get. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, there are large corporate farms that can produce the same product I do for much cheaper mm -hmm. um, or a different product which may rely on, you know, grain-fed animal, which gets a little bit of subsidy, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. you know. And so, yeah, I can't compete with those bigger farms mm -hmm. and my customers cannot buy my product next door. <laughs> Without, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it and all comes... And you can't give it away. And a lot of it just comes down to income inequality. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's true. And, yeah. I, and I've heard that, and I, I have heard that, where they mm -hmm. should grow their own food. And a lot of, a lot of times people are so marginalized, it's, it's hard to get through the day, let right. alone go out there with... Um, right. Well, and if small... And, and seeds and, and um, uh, um, improving the soil. Right. You, know, you just can't... It's not right. jacking the beans. So well, and if I if there. farmers are having a really hard time making a living, mm -hmm. how, how are we expecting totally someone unskilled? that's working two jobs already mm -hmm. to go farm? Yeah. <laughs> you and know, in our areas many times uh, I've said this many times they're taking care of um, children. Yeah, and they're sick. Yeah, uh, or a parent or a grandparent or grandparents taking care of kids because of our right. You know, opioid crisis, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so um, that's a good point. It's, yeah, so it's any just, it's income inequality. Yeah, we it have is. a lot of that. Um, tell us a little bit more about your um, organization. Sure, the National Young Farmers Coalition. So, our um, I am the president of 
let me find where I am on this outline. <laughs> oh, I'm on this side. Okay. Um, yes, I'm the president of the Southeast Tennessee Young Farmers Coalition, which is a chapter of the National Young Farmers Coalition. Um, we just organized uh, in June of last year. We just kind of got together and decided we wanted to um, join our voices together and kind of join forces and um, you know take on some of the challenges we see locally and so our chapter currently has 17 members um, and we are we just recently put together our goals and objectives and we have an, an, our next meeting at the end of the month um, on the 29th when we will um, start to put together some action plans from our goals and objectives um, and just real quickly, our local group, we're very, uh, our chapter, um, we have a lot of meat producers who do grass-fed meats, um, which is different than some other chapters nationally. Um, there are a number, I got to go to a national um, convergence for the National Young Farmers Coalition in Denver, or excuse me, Boulder, and uh, I met a lot of other chapter members, um, and there are a lot of vegetable growers out there that's kind of mm -hmm. typical for people going into young farming young farming <laughs> um, because it's a uh, to some extent lower risk than mm -hmm. livestock um, but our our chapter has a lot of folks that have been in it for 10 years some a few more um, so we have more established farms that are diversified but a lot of grass-fed um, livestock production um, so that's just a little bit about us we in getting together and kind of forming, in order to form our goals and objectives, we did a survey of our members to figure out where people were. So we have um, some folks that are just starting looking for land, mm -hmm. and then um, we also have these established farms. And real quickly, let me give you, before I talk about the national organization, um, let me tell you, just give you a little bit of overview of what we decided we're focusing on as a chapter. Mm -hmm. um, there are kind of two sides to it. One side, we felt like there was really a need for us as area farms to figure out how we could collaborate. Um, we have a very small market. And as independent farms, you know, we do all of the marketing, the distributing, all of these pieces. Um, and that takes up a lot of time and it takes a lot of time away from actual farming. And so we are looking at cooperatives and how can we get together to take on some of these pieces um, for our whole group and so one side is that we're looking at um, just co different cooperative farming models um, we're looking at sharing knowledge how can we support each other with farmer to farmer training um, how can we help uh, farmers access educational resources and some of that is you know there are great resources out there extension does a great job um, but it's hard to find time to go to all those. So how do we get, you know, how do we, if someone has an interest in going to an extension workshop, how do we then help that person get their chores done um, as a group of farmers? How do we support each other so that we can continue to learn? Um, and the other piece is supporting apprenticeships and mentorships. How do we create, uh, how do we support each other as farmers as far as labor, but also create an, a path for new farmers to step from aspiring farmer to actual farmer. Um, so there's that support piece that we're focusing on. And then we're also looking at advocacy. Um, and 
so our advocacy side, we are looking at um, just different policies that affect farmers. We're, we're going to look at those policies, figure out if we like them or not, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you know advocate. Um, our the all of our farmers um, practice regenerative agriculture. We are all devoted to building soil health and sequestering carbon out of the atmosphere. So we're very interested in climate policy. Um, that job, um, agriculture, you know, as farmers, we're at a place where we're really in a good area to, to take on this challenge and do the sequestration of carbon. Um, and that's something that, you know, we feel like maybe that's a service we're offering that maybe we should get paid for. So we want to see at the table as climate policy is discussed, we want to be in that conversation so that we're not left out. Um, additionally, there are regulations that, um, that we bump up against. So how do we make sure those regulations are scaled so that they make sense for small farms mm-hmm. as well as large farms? Um, and we kind of want to speak up about the, the fact that not all regulations affect farmers the same way. Um, mm-hmm. So when we have, you know, politicians like to use farmers all the time in their speeches and say, hey, these farmers really want to be able to put their chicken, you know, chicken barn much closer to your stream. Well, we want to differentiate and say, wait a minute, <laughs> I want to sell to you, my neighbor. And so, no, I don't want to poop in your stream because <laughs> I want you to buy from me and not hate me. Um, so we want to actually address that question, too, and kind of make differentiate. Um, additionally, we're, policy-wise, we want to promote land access. Um, and then our chapter, um, while we work on these goals, we put together a couple things that we just called lenses. Um, you know, while we're working toward those goals, we want to also really focus on racial equity. Um, we recognize that our agricultural history is one that's built on genocide, enslavement, exploitation, exclusion, and forced assimilation of human beings, and that systemic oppression continues to this day. So we're dedicated to promoting the voices, participation, and leadership of underserved and oppressed in our community and beyond. Um, We also want to facilitate more regional networking across the Southeast, um, and we want to have fun. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) But that's our local chapter, real quick. Um, The national organization, um, the National Young Farmers Coalition, of which we are a chapter, uh, represents, mobilizes, and engages young farmers and ranchers to ensure their success. We tackle the most critical structural and economic issues that prevent motivated young people from succeeding in farming and ranching. Ranching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so the, just real quick, the guiding principles of the National Young Farmers Coalition kind of, um, guide what they support, and they support independent family farms, sustainable farming practices, affordable land for farmers, fair labor practices, farmer-to-farmer training, um, farmers of every gender, race, and sexual orientation, and cooperation and friendship between all farmers. Those are good goals. And yeah. have fun. <laughs> and we have fun. Um, so so yeah. did a survey mm-hmm. um, in 2017 in uh, somewhat of an attempt to to, uh, well, yeah. in an attempt to change policy, yep. just the farm bill. Uh, and what were, we've talked a little bit about some of these, but what were the, the main, sure. um, what were the, the priorities? Yeah, so um, this survey that was done in 2017 was um, so that they could gather information from their members to try to put together their policy platform. 
And just real quickly, I want to mention that this year, we're just beginning on this process again, um, but they have a new, um, what's the word? <laughs> they have a new framework um, for deciding on their policy platform now. So they have a, a new system for doing it. They used to just put out this survey and then kind of assimilate the information and create their policy platform. But it's they've come up with a much more democratic way to do it okay. that represents the chapters equally or mm -hmm. the, the different regions of the country um, as well as uh, really highlights kind of underserved groups of farmers. Um, so that's exciting. We, we're hoping that that new... Um, the information from our next kind of deliberative process will come out, I think, in 2021. Okay. Um, so, but the 2017 survey, they surveyed all their members to figure out what was the biggest issue that was keeping young people from going into farming. Um, and I like to ask people this when I you talk about it. I just like people to, you know, what do you think it is? Um, and sometimes people say money. <laughs> Yes, that's it. That's the number one thing. Um, but this is how that money shakes out. Um, so the number one obstacle is access to land. Um, and the, I mean, and, and part of this is access to markets. Um, if you look at the places where the markets are, they are around urban centers, and that's the places where the land is very expensive and unaffordable. Um, and we're in a place here where we have um, affordable land because it's really far away from those markets. <laughs> um, so that's the other side of the, the land question. Um, so access to land was number one. The second biggest um, obstacle is student loan debt. Um, if you, you know, farming requires, it requires huge investment up front. And so you're coming out of college, you're looking at investing in land, you're looking at infrastructure, you're looking at a huge risk. And if you're coming out of college with debt, there is no way. No, yeah, Period. Nobody's going to lend you. Nope. Um, so the third issue was lack of skilled labor um, and labor issues. So yeah, it's hard, it's hard to find skilled labor. Um, but it's not just that labor question. Um, a lot of young farmers, the people that are ready to farm, are the ones that have been working on farms mm -hmm. because they have the information, they have the experience. Um, but when we pay our farm workers, um, <laughs> you know, not a living wage, mm -hmm. then there's no way they can move from farm worker to, you know, up the scale to farm manager and certainly not to like farm owner. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a real issue as well. We're not just interested in, you know, how do we exploit <laughs> low-wage workers. Right. We're interested in how do we provide a living wage for community members to kind of provide that, um, to, you know, have labor on our farms and also to grow our small farms in the area. Um, so labor. And the fourth thing on the list, it actually ended up being a number of um, cost of living expenses. The number one cost of living expense issue was um, health insurance. Mm -hmm. um, farming is incredibly risky and, you know, the majority... and dangerous. Yes. And if you're a young person going in, it is really hard to find insurance that's, you know, cost effective. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're also looking at how do I buy land and how do I pay off my student mm -hmm. loan debt? I mean, mm -hmm. it is, it's insane to think that we expect that of our young people. So 
Yes, health insurance was the number one, but there are a number of other things under that cost of living that came in like fifth and sixth and seventh, like housing cost, mm -hmm. um, access to education. Um, I had a, actually had the whole list, but yeah, top of that was health insurance. Um, so, so what are some things that your group <laughs> kind of put as priorities to maybe ask for or uh, work with? Sure. Local so, governments or state governments or the federal government? Yeah, the national organization, and because I've only been, um, our chapter's only been, has only existed for less than a year, <laughs> um, some of this I haven't worked directly with, and so I haven't been involved in, but I can at least speak to what they've done, some. Um, they've worked on access to land. Um, they just came up with a land, what's it called? It's like a <laughs> land calculator. There are a bunch of tools oh, that they've come yeah, up with I in the last that year. The website. Yeah, that can help people that are looking at land, that are looking to find land, and also help people, you know, differentiate what makes sense for me economically. Do mm -hmm. I want to lease? Do I want to um, buy? What do I need to be thinking about? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's that. Um, so they've also prioritized conservation models that keep land affordable. Um, they've been working with different land trusts um, and different organizations to try to figure out ways, how do we transfer this land? How do we keep land in farming and make it affordable? Um, some states, they've looked at tax incentives to the transfer of land to young farmers. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something, um, as, and well, and also just improving access to capital and loans mm -hmm. for young farmers mm -hmm. who are looking for land. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Student loan debt, you want me to go into that? Mm -hmm. um, so there was this, um, they're pushing for Congress to add a public service loan forgiveness program for farmers. So there are certain groups of people, teachers, um, you know, that can go through programs to have their student loan debt forgiven, um, doctors in rural areas, you know. Right, right. And so this is an idea that, hey, if we really want to invest in our rural communities and we don't want them to just look like corporate farms that feed the urban centers, um, then do we consider farming a public service? Mm -hmm. um, do we make it so we forgive these loans after a certain time? Um, so that's something that they're pushing for. Mm -hmm. um, also low interest refinancing of student loan debt through USDA. Mm -hmm. um, so lack of skilled labor. They are pushing for funding for education. Um, they are big into farmer to farmer training. So there are some chapters that have been able to pass legislation statewide that um, I think there are three of them now. And I don't want to name the states because I'll probably get them wrong. Um, that have had money appropriated within the state budget for apprenticeship programs mm -hmm. um, where the farmer get the farmer that offers apprenticeship um, gets money uh, to host that apprentice. And you know, in recognition, <laughs> in recognizing that that farmer is providing, uh, you know, education which is valuable to those right. interns. Right. So, right. I like um, also the uh, statement about immigration because um, that's been mm -hmm. in the news, you know, constantly. But when it first started, you know, hearing about uh, Ill illegal immigrants and mm -hmm. that, that whole issue, uh, I think we forgot about. The, the migrant workers yeah. work very cheaply, and um, our time in, in Georgia, uh, Georgia was a, one of the first states to, to really take a hard line uh, against immigrants, and the South Georgia farmers 
you know, suffered from that. Mm-hmm. And, and I worry about, you know, Mississippi and Alabama. It's cheap labor, I know. You want to try to remedy that, but to try to make um, a pathway to citizenship for undocumented farm workers. Um, yeah. You know, because we certainly don't need things rotting in the field. That's right. not good uh, policy. Yeah, they support an immigration reform, um, so some kind of pathway to citizenship. Right. And that, um, yeah, I mean, we, our country was built on exploitation of labor, or mm-hmm. our agricultural um, economy. So was built on the exploitation that. of labor, and it still goes on to this day. Um, and those laborers are the ones that have a lot of the skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, <laughs> we treat them like criminals. Right. Um, so right. if we really want to have that labor available, um, you know, then we need to think about how do we create a pathway to citizenship. There are people that have been in this country for years and years doing farm labor. Mm-hmm. How do we, you know, that are not criminals? How do we make it so they can become citizens mm-hmm. um, and, and be part of our yeah. industry. Yeah. I mean, we need labor. <laughs> we labor, we right. need labor and we want, um, you know, and certainly the organization wants to, to look at a way to make that equitable as well. We're not interested in continuing to exploit those populations. Mm-hmm. And yeah. of course, I just have to comment on the uh, asking Congress to protect and improve the um, Affordable Care Act. Yeah, so health insurance, anything we can do to lower the cost of health insurance. I don't care if it's big or small. <laughs> like, that is a huge issue. So these are the kind of things that, you know, this survey really showed that when you ask people, oh, you know, what about ag policy, and they think of the farm bill, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, we're talking about access to land. Maybe that can be remedied through the farm bill, some. You know, certainly there are remedies through the farm bill, but Land, student loan debt, skilled labor, health insurance. Mm-hmm. You know, the issues that affect young farmers are the issues that affect rural communities in general. Mm-hmm. We're not, you know, it's not specific to the farm bill. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's how we fix it. Maybe it's through the farm bill. But, um, you know, these are the issues. If we want to, you know, have vibrant rural economies, we mm-hmm. need to have places where people want to live right. and places where people can make a living. Mm-hmm. So. Thank you, Jess, because this has been a perfect example and, and, and reinforces why I do this podcast, <laughs> to, to, um, to um, help people you know, look at what we're up against. I hope I have some listeners in um, urban communities that, mm-hmm. um, and maybe some elected officials. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I do appreciate you coming. Sure. It's been very informative, and I was... I, I think in my little paragraph uh, about the podcast, I'm, I'm going to say for anyone that thinks that they're not uh, interested in farming, I'm going to ask them, do, this is something that for everyone that eats mm-hmm. <laughs> should listen to this podcast. We, all, we always um, kind of do an action plan. Mm-hmm. Um, what can listeners do to, to help? I think probably the first thing that comes to my mind is support your local farmer and, and uh, farmer's markets and, yep. and buy organic. And... Uh, um, I, I, I have uh, lived in Atlanta where, uh, you know, a big urban center, you know, we had farmers come in and, mm-hmm. you know, it was just really, you could, you could get really pretty good vegetables, fresh vegetables, you know, everywhere. Um, even at the grocery store, although, yeah. see, I, I'm going to, I'm going to um, quantify that a little bit. We were in Florida and there was a wonderful farmer's market and we bought um, Brussels sprouts. And they lasted 
two and a half weeks. I forgot about them in the refrigerator. <laughs> and they were still better than anything I could buy yeah. in the grocery store. So um, if, if you can, uh, can do that, uh, don't waste. Um, we could do a whole thing on, on fast food mm-hmm. and um, obesity, but we're not going to do that. Um, today, um, please go to, to the um, uh, youngfarmers.org website. It's got all this information and, and lots more. They do a podcast. Um, it just It's just really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, you can follow um, our chapter on um, Facebook or Instagram. Um, it's Southeast Tennessee Young Farmers. Southeast TN? Yep. Um, I don't know it exactly, oh, okay. but if you search Southeast. for Southeast Tennessee Young Farmers, okay. um, <laughs> you should get there. We are not yet, because we're just forming, we don't yet have a huge web presence, but we okay. we try to keep, keep people informed. And through the, um, na- the national organization, youngfarmers.org, um, you can link to our chapter, and that'll okay. give you our contact information and information on our um, officers. Okay. Is there anything mm-hmm. that you want to add as an action plan? Well, um, please kind of if you want to if you're interested in the policy side of this, um, you know, please follow us, and um, we're looking forward to really right at this point we're really just figuring out, especially on the state and local level. You know where we stand on certain mm-hmm. issues and mm-hmm. and how they would actually affect us. Um, we want to make sure we are, you know, speaking for our members on a grassroots level, and so we're really taking some time to figure out where our, our people stand. Um, but we are happy to get that information out there once we know. So please okay. follow us. And okay. And we always encourage people to write or call your uh, elected officials um, if you're uh, you were touched by anything that uh, Jess talked about today, or if you know a farmer. Uh, never be afraid to do that. Um, Jess has been to Washington and met with Senator Alexander, and mm-hmm. we've uh, spoken to a representative in District 4, um, Scott Desjardins. Mm-hmm. Um, and just keep informed. We always talk about keeping up with uh, a newspaper, our local newspapers, rural newspapers are, are dying, and uh, but the uh, papers from Nashville and Chattanooga, which is closest to us, you know, you. you there's still a lot of good articles, not local, 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 uh, but at least what, things that are happening in the state. Uh, and people on the radio um, and national news uh, don't know us very well, certainly. Again, to keep track of news, knowing that it's good news, uh, you can identify the source, use your critical thinking skills to say, what? <laughs> Does that sound right? And of course, continue listening to What About Us? So. Season two, I was going to change the music, but I never got around to it. Um, the intro to season two will be um, uploaded in the near future, and then this, and we've got a lot of ideas and things to talk about uh, through um, um, through the spring. Um, so thanks again for listening, and thank you, Jessica, for coming. You're very welcome. Thank you.